0: Dear God, we thank you so much for what we just sang. We thank you for being such a powerful and all-knowing God. I pray that right now that you will just flood this place, wherever we are right now, that you will speak into our hearts today, that you allow us to be humbled and hear the message that you have for us. God, I pray that nothing gets in the way, no distractions, no worries, no fears get in the way of the message that you have for us. I pray that you will challenge us today and help us to become people that resemble your son. We love you and thank you, and pray this in your son's name, amen. My name is Alex Terose, I'm the pastor of student ministries here at New Life, and I am just so excited to be with you today to share what God has been putting on my heart. If you're new, this is your first time tuning in with us, I just want to thank you for tuning in. We have been in this year-long series called Experiencing God Unreserved, and today I have the opportunity to kick off a new sub-series underneath that umbrella series, Experiencing God Unreserved, and it's called Experiencing God in Such a Time as This. Experiencing God such a time as this is going to talk about nine people, nine people from God's word that lived in uncertain times. And although they lived in times that they did not set up, that they did not plan for, they were able to be used by God in some incredible and mighty ways. And that's what we're going to be talking about for nine straight weeks. And today I get to kick us off by talking about one of my favorite people from God's word, and that is Queen Esther. Now, Queen Esther has a whole book that's dedicated to her. It's called The Book of Esther. It's 10 chapters long. I'd encourage you to go and read at some point this week. I'm going to be sharing different snippets from it, but it's going to be kind of a brief overview, but the 10 chapters are great, so I'd encourage you to go and read in the Old Testament. Again, only 10 chapters the book of Esther. Now, she is a woman that came into royalty and was able to save the day for a whole nation of people. And I don't know if I love her story just because it's this underdog story or because I grew up watching Disney movies who told stories time and time again about women that came into royalty that saved the day by sacrificing something. I mean, you look at it. You got Nala, who's awesome, and Mulan, who's great, and you got Rapunzel, who's incredible, and she uses a frying pan to knock dudes out. You got uh, Moana, who maybe is my favorite Disney princess when it's all said. Then you got Merida, who's really great with the bow and arrow. All of them are super cool. And you might be thinking to yourself right now, Alex, you're 32, and a man, why are you talking so much about Disney princesses? That's fair, okay? But I just want to tell you that it doesn't matter to me if you are a woman or a man or where you come from, what you look like, you're young, you're old. I just like heroes that are willing to put their neck on the line for someone else. I mean, it's why I love the movie Braveheart. Truth be told, when I was 17, I gave my very first message ever. I was with a a youth ministry at that time, and my youth pastor asked me to speak about whatever's on my heart, and I didn't really know what to do, so I shared a clip from the movie Braveheart, and it's about this Scottish guy that Mel Gibson plays called William Wallace, and there's this scene, and if you've watched the movie, you might know this scene. He's on a horse, and he has this blue face paint on, and he's talking to his men, and they're looking at this um, oppressive army that is greater than they are, and he gives this inspiring speech, and I want to share it to you r- real quick, because again, it's just one of those things It just gets me amped up. It says this, fight. And you may die, run, and you'll live at least a little while, but many years from now, would you be willing to trade all of those days from this to that for just one chance, just one chance to turn and look at your enemies and say, you may take our lives, but you can never take our freedom. I love that. Now, if you want to actually like YouTube it, it's cooler because he has a Scottish accent and the Scottish accent, I don't know, it makes it just seem grander than I can do it. I tried practicing the Scottish accent, but it came out really terrible and the, the effects completely lost. It's like, Fight and you may die, and it's just, it's just it's bad. So I won't share that, but it's, it's really good. It gets me amped up. The same premise is true for finding Nemo, oddly enough. You look at it, okay? Marlin, who's the dad, he's a clownfish. He sees Nemo be taken off by fishermen, and he has this choice to be made. Is he going to stay where it's safe amidst the comfort, or is he going to sacrifice everything to save his son? And now we know in the back of our minds, that Marlin, it's safer to stay back in your mem- anemone. Anemone. It's a hard word. Anemone. If it'd be much safer to stay back there, but instead he risked risk it all to go and save his son. And so maybe that's why I like the book of Esther, because she's a young woman that's willing to risk everything to save her people. And I love it. Through her book, she teaches us something really important. No matter who we are, God can use us to do great things. So let me talk to you a little bit about this book of Esther. We start the book by meeting the king of that time. His name is King Xerxes. He lived in Susa. Now, this was around the 5th century, and or yeah, a long time ago. And King Xerxes was rolling over 127 provinces, and at one point, he just wanted to throw a party because he was pumped that he was king and wanted everyone else to celebrate. So he threw this party that lasted 180 days. And if that wasn't enough, he threw another party after it that lasted seven days. And for this party, what he did is he split the men and the women up. Him and all the boys hung out for seven days, and all the girls went with his queen Vashti, and they hung out as well. Now, near the end of this party, King Xerxes, who had maybe drank a little too much, maybe his friends had drank a little too much, had this brilliant idea. He was like, hey, what if we go and get my queen and have her come in front of all of my drunken friends? That sounds awesome. And so he goes and he sends a servant to go to Queen Vashti and she wisely says no. She's like, are you kidding me? No, I'm not gonna go. Tell the king that that's just not gonna happen today. So the servant has to go and I'm sure he's filled with fear because going to the king and telling him this cannot be a good situation, but he goes to King Xerxes and he's like, Hey, man, your queen says no. I don't know what to tell you. She is not coming. And so King Xerxes is angry. And so he goes to his friends. He's like, we got to do something. We need to put our foot down in here, and we need to make something happen so that everyone knows that wives should respect their husbands. And his friends are like, oh, yeah, man, that's really smart. What you should do is make a decree. Now, a decree is a specific thing that happened back then. It's like a law that the king would put in place that no one could change, not even the king. And so he says, okay, yeah, let's let's make a decree. What decree should we make? And they say, make a decree that Queen Vashti can never enter into the king's presence ever again. Bad advice. Bad advice from his friends, but instead of King Xerxes looking for some good advice, he takes this advice and he goes, yes, let's do it. So they make a decree, a new law in place. The queen can never enter the presence of King Xerxes again. But in the morning, King Xerxes wakes up and realizes what he just did. His queen, Queen Vashti, could never enter his presence again. So dismayed, he decides that he was going to make a search for a new queen, someone that could enter into his presence. So what he did is he sent his servants out to all the 127 provinces, and they went and searched for all the most beautiful young ladies in the land, and they would take them and bring them to the palace. This is where we meet Esther. She obviously was a beautiful young lady because she was taken into the palace. we find out some more about her. She is Jewish, and her people were currently in exile. Not only that, her parents had died, and so she was an orphan, but was taken in by her cousin Mordecai. So she's taken to the palace, and Mordecai doesn't want to leave her, so Mordecai goes and sits outside the palace. And inside, Esther gets these beauty treatments and gets food, and then eventually one by one, all of these young ladies go in front of the king, and he chooses eventually Queen Esther. Esther to be his new queen. And so Mordecai, since it's going to be a permanent situation with Esther living in the palace, decides to stay there. And he's hanging out one day outside of the palace gates. And this guy Haman comes out and sees Mordecai. Now Haman is one of the chief officers for King Xerxes. So he has a a good deal of power. So he goes to Mordecai and he tells Mordecai to bow to him. Now Mordecai He's a Jewish person. He believes in God. He worships God. So he does not want to bow to this man named Haman. He probably doesn't even know much about this guy named Haman. So he's like, no, dude, I'm not bowing to you. And Haman's like, come on, bow to me. I'm pretty cool. And Mordecai's like, no way. So Haman gets really angry and he goes to the king and he tries to manipulate the king to do something bad to not only Mordecai, but all of Mordecai's people, the whole Jewish nation. And he says this, and it's recorded in Esther chapter three. There's a certain race of people scattered through all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it pleases the king, issue a decree, and again that word decree, something that is going to not be undying, that they be destroyed and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. Xerxes ends up becoming manipulated by Haman. Not only does Haman say that Mordecai's done something wrong, he says, in fact, all of the Jewish people have done something wrong. So not only should you take this out on Mordecai, but you should take it out on the whole people. And for whatever reason, King Xerxes, again, doesn't seek a second opinion, decides, maybe it's because of 10,000 silver pieces, whatever, but he decides, okay, you know what, let's make a decree. So he makes this decree that on a certain day, all Jewish people could be hunted and murdered. And that's now the law. So the word starts to spread throughout the 127 provinces, and the Jewish people are scared. They're in anguish and word eventually comes to Mordecai and he's so dismayed about this news that he hears that people that are passing him start to notice that something's wrong and eventually some of the servants go to Queen Esther and say, hey, your cousin, he's out there and something happened. We don't know what, but something's going on because he is in complete anguish right now. So Queen Esther sends a servant, Hathach is his name, to go and ask Mordecai, what's up? And Mordecai responds by saying this, and this is a record in Esther chapter four, starting in verse eight. Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the decree issued in Susa and called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathach to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He asked Hathach to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. And Esther responded this way. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter and the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. Esther, understandably, is fearful She realizes that at any point if she goes to the king, she might just die. I mean, the last thing he did when a woman did something that he didn't like was make a decree that she could never enter his presence anymore. So Esther is filled with his fear. And we think about it, Esther's had a pretty rough life so far. Again, her people were exiled. She's an orphan. She was forced to go to the palace, and then she was forced to marry a king that she obviously feared. And now, finally, she has some semblance of comfort, some semblance of safety, and Mordecai is saying, hey, put all of that on the line right now so that you can potentially maybe save our people. And now it's easy, I think, sometimes to kind of pile on and be like, Esther, come on, that's an easy call to make. You might save a whole nation of people. You should do that. But truth be told, as people, we're susceptible to fear. Sometimes it's small fears, sometimes it's big fears. When the COVID-19 stuff started, I know that there was a, a small fear that started in my brain right at the beginning. See, the last time we were able to meet in person for New Life students, we were in this message series called, What's the Point? And the message I gave the last night we were together was, What's the Point About Sex? Now... Normally, when you give a sex talk at youth group, what we're saying is, hey, don't have sex till you're married. These are the reasons. You know that you might make someone feel uncomfortable, and maybe someone might not come back for a week or two. That's the fear. But you don't dream that maybe four months later, no one still returned after that message. And so I had this fear start, like, what if that is all that people remember from my time? Just me talking about sex, and I used this demonstration with Plato. It's not what you think. And it was... um, it was, it was good, but I, I thought maybe that was what people are gonna remind, remember me for if they aren't able to, to come back and hopefully we'll be back in person soon. And I could forget about that. But as COVID-19 continued on, I started to have a more real fear. My wife right now is eight months pregnant. And we started to hear these horror stories of women in labor give birth early and have complications with their child or give birth and then they are not able to to be with their child for two weeks because they were around someone that had the coronavirus and I did not want that. I did not want that for me, I didn't want that for my wife, I did not want that for my son and so we were kind of freaking out a little bit during that time and as I've talked to more people, whether they're in this church or they're not, fear is something that has sometimes crept into our brains during the last several months. Could be fear of getting sick, or dying or losing a job or losing a loved one or just fear that people are going to dislike you or whatever. There's just fears that have crept into our minds. And so what happens, though, during these situations of uncertainty, during these times of crisis, we're asked a certain question. And Mordecai basically asks this as well to Esther. And the question is this, how will you respond to uncertainty? People have said that the only certain thing in life is uncertainty, so we're bound to face situations that we're not planning for. So the question remains, how will we respond when those situations arise? And so Mordecai would go and he would say this to Esther, basically asking that, how will you respond question. He says this, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will rise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. That phrase, such a time as this, is where we get the, the title for this series, Experiencing God in Such a Time as This. It also is what's written on my shirt right now. You were born for such a time as this, and it's our take-home point. Perfect. We're on brand here at New Life. Our take-home point is simply this. You were born for such a time as this. Mordecai is basically telling Esther, what if? What if everything that you've gone through in your life, The exile, your parents dying, you being forced to, the palace, all leads up to this moment so that you can save a nation of people. And I believe God's saying something very similar to us. You and I were created specifically for this time. Make no mistake about it. God knew exactly what he was doing in biblical times and knows exactly what he's doing today, right now. What you are going through might not be easy. It might be the hardest time in your life, and that might not be today. Maybe that's your reality tomorrow, but God has brought you to this for a reason, and he wants to use you to bring him glory. And so Esther now is staring at this question. What if she was put in this position, not to save her own life, but to save more than herself? And so she responds to Mordecai this way. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. Esther is willing to put everything, her safety, her comfort, on the line to save her people. This moment is what movies try to capture. This, this moment where you're willing to sacrifice for a cause that is greater than yourselves. And Esther does this? What she does is she goes to King Xerxes and she even invites Haman to this meeting. They have dinner together and King Xerxes says, what do you want from me? I'll give you anything up to half of my kingdom. I love you that much. And so when she has this opening, she says to King Xerxes, I need you to do something about this decree you made. Because Haman put this plan into motion that is not only going to kill the Jewish people, but is also going to kill me, Queen Esther, the one that you love. And Xerxes is ticked off. He is so angry. I don't know if he didn't know at this point that Esther was Jewish or what, but he is so mad that he gets Haman and he has him killed almost immediately. And then what he does is he goes and finds Mordecai and he brings him in and he asks for some advice, finally from the right person. And Mordecai says, okay, well, you can't undo this decree. That's not possible. What we can do is make another decree. And this decree is going to fight with the other one. So, what you can do is make a decree that on that same day where the Jews were allowed to be murdered, that it states that all the Jews can bind together and protect themselves. And if a Jewish person kills someone that's trying to attack them, that Jewish person gets everything that belongs to the family of that person. So, they up the stakes to make people not want to fight the Jewish people. And when that day came, the Jewish people were saved because Queen Esther was able to sacrifice, because Queen Esther was able to put everything on the line for her people and because Mordecai gave that amazing advice. And we learn from Esther's story that although she was filled with fear, she was also filled with courage. It's important to remember that courage is not the absence of fear. It's the ability to face fear head on. And that's what she did. It's okay sometimes to acknowledge that there is some fear, but it's not okay to let it defeat us. And it didn't defeat Esther. She was able to push through it, rely on God, and he saved the day for all all the Jewish people. And it's cool because this story teaches us a ton of things. The first thing that I believe it teaches us that we can point out is that Mordecai went through something and he acknowledged it. It's okay for us to acknowledge when things aren't going well. It's okay It's delusional not to. It's okay to say, this stinks right now, but it is not okay to stay there. We can say, okay, this is hard, this is challenging, but it's not okay just to remain there. Mordecai was in anguish, so much so that people came and saw him and reported that to Queen Esther, but he didn't stay that way. He devised a plan, and they acted on it. And then the second thing I think that we can glean from this book is that we might not have planned to be in the situation that we're in. Many people don't plan to be in a time of crisis, in a time of uncertainty. We don't want to be in that, but that doesn't mean that we can't respond in a way that brings God the glory. Although Esther and Mordecai were put in this terrible situation, it didn't stop them from responding in a way that brought the attention to God and saved people and brought God glory to a point that we're still talking about it today. So... For the rest of this message, what I would like to do is to help us to realize what we can do, decisions we can make, steps we can take in order to respond well during uncertainty. Because again, we might be in that time right now. We might be in that time tomorrow. And if not then, it's going to be coming up very soon. So I think there's three steps that we can take in order to respond well during uncertainty. And the first one is this. We must obtain advice from wise people. We see how not to do this and how to do this from this story. Xerxes does a poor job at the beginning of this story. He goes into his friends and says, man, I'm so mad at my wife. What should we do? And they tell him to make this decree. Not the good decision, but they make it. Later on, Haman comes in, tells him what to do. Instead of Xerxes going and getting a second opinion, he takes bad advice and he acts on it. Finally, at the end of the story, he gets Mordecai in, and he takes advice. Same thing with Esther. She takes advice from Mordecai whenever she's full of fear. If it wasn't for Mordecai pushing her in that moment, we might not have the ending that we do of this story. And so when we look at it, Esther took this wise advice. Xerxes finally took this wise advice, and we can too we're at a time where we don't understand, let's go to someone that we trust. It could be a pastor, small group leader, someone that's been through situations like we're in right now, someone that we believe is following God and we can ask for wise advice. So that's step one. Step two, now I will say step two is probably the most challenging of these three, but it's also maybe the most important. Step two, in order to survive but also thrive during uncertain times is we must put aside our comfort, be willing to put aside our comfort in order to sacrifice for others that are in need. Esther again does this, but Jesus also does that for us. He at one point left the comfort and the safety of heaven for you and me. Think about that. Heaven is perfect and Jesus decided to leave heaven so that he can die on the cross brutally for you and me for our sins so that we would have a chance to believe in him And have eternal life if we give our lives over to him as Lord, meaning owner and savior, meaning rescuer from sin and death. Jesus set this example. Esther also did this too. She's willing to put her life on the line for others. And I'm so thankful that I get to to be here at New Life because I've seen this time and time again in our student ministries. We have small group leaders that are willing to show up every week to pour into the lives of students. And they're willing to sacrifice a day every single week, pretty much 40, it's 42 weeks of the year in order to pour into students, to show them the love of Jesus, to point them to Jesus. Now, I've seen leaders come after funerals that were a couple days before, after losing a job, after breaking up with a girlfriend or boyfriend. They put their baggage aside and they pour into the lives of students. And we've seen thousands of lives changed because of the sacrifice that leaders are willing to put forth during uncertain times right now, during COVID-19. I've experienced this as well. I said earlier that I've had this fear of something happening, my wife getting sick or our our baby on the way getting sick. And so whenever we're in the store and we encounter someone that has a mask on, and we all know that if you're wearing a mask, you're making a sacrifice because they're not comfortable, okay? No one wakes up in the morning and says, you know what I want to do? I want to watch TV and I'm going to wear this. No one does that because it's uncomfortable and it, it... doesn't feel good. And so when I'm in the store and I encounter people that have those on and we're talking, we're in close proximity, I have this comfort knowing that they're sacrificing, maybe not intentionally, but they're sacrificing so that my wife and our baby are able to be healthy. I love that. I've seen students over the years sacrifice their popularity or their friendships in order to tell people about Jesus, in order to love someone that might, others, others might deem unlovable They go out of their way to sit with that student that no one else wants to sit with. When I hear stories that I am so pumped for their sacrifice because in high school, I mean, you're basically just living in a time of uncertainty and crisis because it is so hard and weird, and when they're willing to give up even a tiny bit of popularity to tell someone about Jesus, we know that they're doing it to save someone's life because the best way to save anyone's life is to tell them about Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, sometimes we might think in our heads like, I can't do that. Like I can't make as big of a difference as Queen Esther. I'm not able to do something as big as William Wallace or as Marlin the Clownfish. But here's the truth: we have a God that is so big that he empowers us to do mighty things. Our God is that big that he can come alongside of us and we can accomplish anything. Oftentimes, whenever I'm filled with fear and it happens. I wish it didn't, but again, courage isn't the absence of fear, it's the ability to face fear. Head on, when I am filled with fear, one of the things that I have to do, and this is our step three, is remember who our God is. Because once I start to focus on myself and my problems, everything else just seems too big, because honestly, for me, it is. I can only do so much, but when I partner with God, everything is possible, And so during times of crisis, whether it's a faith crisis or it's a crisis in in the real world, whatever it is, what happens is I need to start to focus and remember who our God is. And the best way I do that is I reference this sermon written by a guy named S.M. Lockridge. The sermon's called, That's My King. When I was in college, I was shown this video. It's on YouTube. You can type it in just, That's My King. And I heard the sermon, it pumped me up. And anytime I start to doubt or I get filled with worry, I I go back and I read this. I've shared it with New Life students twice over the last six years, and today I wanted to share just a couple excerpts from it for you today, so that we can remember who our God is. I'm going to try to do it justice, but I would encourage you, after this is done, to go YouTube that That's My King, S.M. Lockridge. But let me read a little little bit of it for you today. It says this. My king was born king. We're talking about God here. He's the king of glory, he's a king of kings, and he's the lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder, if you know him, do you know my king? My king is the only one of whom there are no means of measure that can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of the shore of his supplies. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's the head of the heroes. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough and his grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. That's my king. He's incomprehensible, he's invincible, and he's irresistible. I'm coming to tell you this, that the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone some man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind, you can't get him off your hands, you can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees, they couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree about him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my King. He always has been and he always will be. I'm talking about the fact that he had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There's nobody before him and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's my king. That's my king. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Well, all the power belongs to my king. Thine is the power. Yeah, and the glory. We try to get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but the glory, it's all his. Yes, thine is the kingdom and the power and glory. Forever and ever and ever and ever. And how long is that? Forever and ever and ever and ever. And we get done with all the evers and amen. When I hear that, I get so excited because I can get so tunnel visioned on my own problems, my own life, that I forget how big God is. I start to forget that accompanying God, we can do anything because God by himself could do anything. If you've ever doubted that you and God together can move mountains, stop it right now because God wants to use you in mighty ways. He wants to empower you to do incredible, great things. That's what we saw in the book of Esther. She was someone that people would not have pegged at a young age to be able to save a whole nation of people. So my question for us today is, What can we do if we partner with God? I said there was three steps, but really there's four, and this is our next step. It's the one thing I think that we can focus on this week in order to accomplish something amazing, something massive, and that's this. I will be willing to live for a purpose greater than myself this week. I will live for a purpose greater than myself this week. Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like for you, but I wanna encourage you sometime, whether it be today, tomorrow, the next day, to get on your knees before God and ask him to reveal a purpose greater than yourself. Whether it's telling someone about Jesus, it's fighting for someone underprivileged, it's doing something greater than yourself, whatever it is, let him tell you that and then go and obtain advice from wise people. Then be willing to put aside your comfort in order to sacrifice for people in need. But always remember who our God is, how powerful and how mighty he is. And when you start to doubt that, again, go back and refocus uh, time and time again. And remember that even if you have some fear that you can't accomplish something mighty, something great, remember that fear's okay, but courage is what's going to stop it. It's the ability to go through that fear and face it head on. And really, again, I guess I said three steps and I gave you a fourth. I'll give you a fifth. The first one, before all of those, in order to start doing this, partner with God, is giving our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Talked about a little bit earlier, Jesus, he came down for heaven, he died on the cross for you and me, so we have a chance of eternal life, but also so that we can live with God on this earth. I wanna encourage you to start praying during this song. If you've never given your life to Jesus, Lord and Savior, after the song, we're gonna have an opportunity, an opportunity to give your life over to God, to admit that we need a Savior, to believe in Jesus Christ, to confess our sins to him to pray. Ask God for some wisdom in this time. And as we go forward today, let us choose a purpose that is greater than ourselves and let's live for it. Right now, as we go into this last worship song, let's just ask God to speak to us through it.